So this is an old, old story of what took place 2,000 years ago. And uh, we think of these uh, stories at Easter, still thinking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, straying back a little bit into Easter Day and looking at Thomas, an old, old story of that first Easter time when Jesus was appearing to his disciples in John 20. And we had it read to us, thank you so nicely. Verse 19, on that evening, the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fears of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Well, maybe you can imagine, I'm sure you can, the hustle and bustle of uh, Jerusalem during that period. People from all over the region, the known world, the Middle East, from North Africa, from Southern Europe, lots of different languages and, uh, and types of people, different clothes, different food. And if you're like me, then I like to imagine the different smells, because I love thinking about smells and smelling things. And different customs. It was always busy in Jerusalem. But this, of course, was a special week because there'd been the Passover. And so a lot of the Jews in particular were in town. And there was a lot going on in Jerusalem. And the events of Good Friday would have stuck in a lot of people's mind. It was only a week ago. Maybe a lot of people weren't there to see the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. But they would have noticed what had gone on. The Jews would have noticed that the temple of the curtain had been torn in two when Jesus had died. If you'd been in Jerusalem at that time, you would have noticed that during the day it went completely dark for hours on end. You would have noticed the earthquake when the rocks cracked open. You would have noticed when the tombs came open and people that had died came back to life and walked in Jerusalem. That's what it says in the scripture. You would have noticed this. You would have been talking about it. These were extraordinary days in the events of the world. And the disciples were gathered together in a room with the doors locked. It says in the scripture, for fear of the Jews. Well, you would be frightened, wouldn't you? You would be frightened if that's the way they treated your leader. They took him away. They treated him like a common criminal. They spat upon him and did all those dreadful things which we thought about last week and it makes us shudder to think of them. And they crucified him. No wonder they were frightened. And they were in a room. What a day. We know the story, don't we? We know the story because in the Easter day, and you looked at it again last week, Mary had got up early. She'd, she'd gone to the tomb. And uh, archaeological, I can't even say it. Where's Martin Hall? He's gone. That's good. Archaeological, said it, um, excavation has shown us that these tombs, the tomb of, uh, of, of Joseph, the rich man, was, was a very expensive tomb. 
It was a fantastic tomb. It was a tomb that was carved out of the rock. There would have been a gully coming down towards the entrance of the tomb down which this stone would have been rolled. It would have been rolled down easily because it was on an incline and it was firmly shut. And yet when Mary got to the tomb, of course, the stone had been rolled away. You know the story of Easter Day. No wonder Mary was afraid when she got there and the tomb had been opened. Who had done this? Was it the authorities or robbers? Peter and John, they ran to the tomb, didn't they? And found that Jesus had completely disappeared. It's almost like he'd evaporated. His, his grave clothes were just kind of furled where Jesus' body had been. And Mary stayed, didn't she, to contemplate. And she met who she thought was the gardener. And of course, you know the story so well. He said her name and she realized it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, it says in verse 8 of John 20, the other disciples who had reached the tomb first went inside. He saw and believed. But, says the scripture in verse 9, they still did not understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. John saw and believed. Mary told them that she'd met the risen Lord Jesus Christ in the garden. But the reality of the resurrection still had to emerge upon the disciples with any great degree of conviction. Hence, they were in a room with the doors locked. Verse 19, on that evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, not surprisingly. And showing the most horrid side of human nature, they were hidden away. Well, when you're scared, it, uh, you jump very easy, don't you? If you've maybe watched a, a funny film before you go to bed late, firstly, you shouldn't do that, should you? Because it makes you frightened. But if you're slightly on edge, you'd easily jump, don't you? So you can imagine all the disciples being in this room with the doors locked, very, very frightened. And Jesus, Jesus just came and stood among them. He didn't make them jump, did he? He didn't make a dramatic entry. He simply came in and said, peace be with you. Well, if you're a Hebrew, then that's a traditional meet, uh, greeting, isn't it? That's what you're used to. People saying, peace be with you. Shalom. Shalom. That's what Jesus said. But this was no ordinary greeting, was it? Suddenly, the Easter day glory breaks upon them. Jesus was visibly in their midst. Jesus was alive. Shalom. Peace be with you. This is more than may you have an absence of stress in your life or may you not meet any violence along the way or may you have a quiet and restful day. This is the Old Testament context in shalom basically means well-being in its fullest sense, fullest sense. It gathers all the blessings of the kingdom of God. Shalom is in Jesus' sense life at its best under the gracious hand of God. Well, some people struggle, don't they? They say, if Jesus brought peace to the world, then why do I see so much violence in the world? But 
Jesus told us, didn't he? In John 16, he says, I have told you these things that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, says Jesus. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Peace be unto you. His speaking peace makes peace. Peace with God. Peace with our own consciences. Peace with one another. All this peace be with you. Not peace in the world, but peace in Christ. Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so Jesus' use of the word peace on that first Easter Sunday evening represented the truly first authentic bestowal of shalom in the history of the world. The reconciliation of God and man is now imparted. And Paul used that word in every single letter that he wrote. Grace and peace be to you. It's a wonderful thing. On the evening of that first day, says John chapter 20 and verse 19, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It's me! Jesus reassured the disciples it was really him. No ghost, no vision, by showing them his his scars. What pain he had to bear. And we can't even begin to imagine, can we, the pain that Jesus bore on the cross. When was the last time you got a finger in your, in your uh, finger, a thorn in your finger? I am going to get a thorn in my finger quite quickly, quite soon, I should say, because Jackie keeps saying, the garden does need a bit of work on it. It's lo- looking very good. And uh, fortunately, it's been raining, hasn't it? Certainly over Easter Sunday weekend, she said, oh, it's too wet to go out there today, isn't it? I said, oh, yes, too wet. But very soon, I will get a thorn in my finger. And it hurts, doesn't it? that little thorn so you know and I know I don't belittle the pain that people bear in this life but what Jesus went through what pain he had to bear his whole body must have been covered in marks but no greater the scars the marks in his hands and his side Jesus the saviour of the world was recognised by his scars And while each person in that group, in that locked room, would have had their own personal relationship with God, with Jesus, he appeared to the group. And in fact, as you know, he appeared to hundreds of people, didn't he, before he finally ascended into heaven. He ate food. He touched people. This was not an exclusive experience for some kind of monk-type character or some mountaintop dreamer. This was not a religious dreamer. This was not reserved for some very special person set apart from everybody else who Jesus went to speak to. His experiences, the public appearances, I should say, were very public, not just for the chosen few. He didn't just select certain types of people. And when Jesus showed them his scars, they were overjoyed. 
Overjoyed. That's fantastic, isn't it? When were you last overjoyed? So excited you couldn't contain yourself. I get told off for overexciting children just before they go to bed. Don't you overexcite them when they've had their bath. Don't overexcite the children. Children get overexcited, don't they? They almost feel sick, they're so excited. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They could not contain their joy. What a contrast from the grief that they were in just a couple of days earlier. What a contrast. And we read, don't we, in John's Gospel about this joy. The words of Christ are fulfilled. John chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus talks about the disciples' grief will turn to joy. In John chapter 16, it says, Some of the disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a while you will see me no more, and then after a while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. You can read it in John chapter 16. Jesus saw what they wanted to ask him, because he knows what we're thinking. And he said, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of the joy that the child has been born into the world. So with you. Now your time of grief, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy does not, will be complete. What does he mean? That's what he meant. He compared it as the childbirth. Only the ladies will know about childbirth. So I won't even attempt to speak about it. But let's say that most Jesus said, that's what it's like. That most horrible, horrible, horrible pain, which turns into the most unbelievable joy. When the baby's born, that's what it's like, your grief and your happiness. Jesus in John chapter 14 says, You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so when it happens, you will believe. He predicted his betrayal, Peter's denial, his own death. He even spoke about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And once again, he was back in a room with his disciples, having been betrayed, Peter having denied him, having been killed, and having risen again. So in appearing, he was not only looking to assure them and us, but he had conquered death. Conquered death. Well, someone was missing, weren't they? Someone's missing, you know who it was, Thomas. It wasn't there. Doubting Thomas, people don't like to call him that, do they? Everyone feels sorry for Thomas. But he's a good example. We're pleased he lived, aren't we? 
Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of his nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails on his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, about one week, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Well, the text recorded in John's Gospel speaks for itself, doesn't it? Thomas's reaction, My Lord and my God. He didn't just say, Okay, all right, I believe you now. Let's get on with our life. Come on, let's go back to work. It's great to have you back. He didn't say that, did he? He said, my Lord and my God. It was clear to Thomas that his life would never be the same again. Thomas reacted the only way he possibly could. Jesus is God, Yahweh. Jesus the man is God. Jesus is Thomas's Lord. My Lord and my God. Five words that would change Jesus' life, uh, Thomas's life forever. Jesus said, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's all of us, isn't it? We weren't there, were we? Of course we weren't. And that's why John recorded this gospel account, didn't he? You kindly read to verse 29. If we'd read to verse 30, if we read on, familiar words you know. Now Jesus, writes John, did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but they are written so that you may believe and that, G- that Jesus is the Christ, the Son, and that by believing you may have life in his name. True religion is removed from diets and days from ceremonies and garments and placed where it belongs in the union of the spirit of God with man and that's why on that first Easter day Jesus instructed his disciples didn't he he commissioned his disciples receive the Holy Spirit he said if you forgive anyone's sins in my name they're forgiven But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. As my Father has sent me, I am sending you. Hence they were called apostles, men sent. He said Jesus uh, was sent to bear witness to the truth. So were they, not to be mediators of the reconciliation. That's what Jesus did, but preachers and publishers of it. Jesus was sent not to be ministered to, but to minister Not to do his own will, but to do the will of him who sent him. Not to destroy the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them. And so were the disciples to be sent. As the Father had sent Jesus into the world to the lost sheep of Israel, so he sent them into the entire world. He had the power to send them equal to that which the Father had to send him. 
by that same authority that the Father has sent me, I send you. And that proves that Jesus is part of the Godhead. And the commission he gave them was equal authority with that that the Father gave. Again he said to you, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed upon them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, they're forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. They are not forgiven. That's unusual, isn't it? That he breathed upon them. And this was not only to show that he's alive. Ghosts can't breathe, can they? I don't know. I never met a ghost. Hope, <laughs> thankfully. But ghosts, you know, he wasn't a ghost. He breathed. He had life. He breathed on his disciples. He's really alive. But it was also a sign, a sign to signify them of this spiritual life and power that they should receive from him for all the services that laid before him. That wasn't the first time God had breathed upon somebody, was it? He first breathed upon mankind in Genesis. God, it says in Genesis chapter 2, 7, the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and that man became a living being. You see, Christ is God. Christ is the word of God that was with God in the beginning of the world. Nothing was made in the world without Jesus because Jesus was there at the beginning breathing life into man. And so God not only, Jesus not only was there in the beginning, the spiritual life and the spiritual strength that helps the disciples, helps Christians to minister to others, was breathed into their lives. Well, all this happened 2,000 years ago. Time is difficult to comprehend, isn't it? We all get confused about which year, what happened in our own lives, and it's very difficult to imagine. If you think of uh, time of, of the creation of the world, and uh, say creation of the world was that long, then uh, the last 2,000 years would probably be, again, Martin's not here, so we can say anything we like, can't we? But it would only be this bit, wouldn't it? few other intellectuals sitting here, but forgive me. It's only 2,000 years. It's billions of years since the world was created, wasn't it? It's only 2,000 years ago. That's all it was. What a week the disciples had had. Christ had defeated death. The apostles had received their great commission, go into the world and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Christ, that people would have the assurance of having their sins forgiven and a new life in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. He himself bore his sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Well, we have to react, don't we? We have to react to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And eternity is a long time to be wrong. Thomas' reaction was to recognise Jesus as my Lord and my God. And that changed his life. Jesus said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, 
Please help us to recognize that you are Lord and King and that you have the right to rule over our lives. Lord Jesus Christ, we recognize that there is a dark side to all of our lives in which we have failed to live in a way that acknowledges you and pleases you. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you came in your divine majesty to die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. Lord Jesus Christ, please cleanse us from our sins as we turn to you and say, My Lord and my God. Amen.